Hello, this is Shonda Smith-Baker from the Minneapolis Foundation, where I am the Senior Vice President of Impact and the host of Conversations with Shonda. What I hope people take away from my conversation with Van is to remember to connect to their bigger why, to find ways to use where they are right now for a bigger purpose that benefits other people. His relationship with Prince was really deep. And I think we can't underestimate the importance of having supporters and champions in your corner. That even when people may appear to be um, strong and doing everything the right way, that there's those dark moments in which you need people to say, okay, it's dark, there's light, like you need to go find it. And let's figure out how we can um, get you to a better place. His commitment to, to having Prince be seen beyond a musician, um, his quiet confidence and the way that he did philanthropy is, is something that I think we can all learn from. Thank you for being um, a part of it. I'm excited. All right. So, you know, I have to talk about Prince with yes, you. Of course. And uh, his birthday's coming up. Mm -hmm. Though he did not celebrate it, but go ahead. I know, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. But um, it's the day before my dad, so I used to yeah. always kind of tease my dad that I remember Prince's birthday, and then that's how I knew his. Uh -huh. um, but the one thing that I really appreciated um, in your interviews right when that happened was your commitment to having people see Prince mm -hmm. from more than his music mm -hmm. and more than the 80s. That's right. And... Um, Prince has always been a staple around us from being here. Mm -hmm. And I think that we may have taken him for granted a little bit in terms of all that he brought. Mm -hmm. um, the other comment I want to make is that when I really got to know about his philanthropy is when he gave a million dollars to Harvest Prep School to mm -hmm. build out their building. Mm -hmm. And that building actually was where it used to be a nursing home. Mm -hmm. And um, our great grandparents lived there. And then it became a school that my son went to. Wow. And Prince gave a million dollars for it to build up. Yeah. So my question really is, you know, what did you learn from kind of the humility and the, the quiet way that Prince did philanthropy? Well, um, you know, I mean, Prince saved my life. I mean, I left the Obama White House under fire uh, in 2009. Um, most of the time when you leave a high-profile job like that, um, people run away from you. Uh, you know, your phone stops ringing. Um, but Prince ran to me and called me and brought me into his world and uh and he, he had supported my work in the past you know at a distance but he really brought me in and um it really um and, and you know i got a chance to really see up close um this guy was mainly a philanthropist he was mainly somebody who was um trying to make other people's lives better um but he was very skeptical of the the model and you know not to put anybody on front street but you know there's some models where you you have a foundation named after yourself. You're always at the ribbon cuttings. He really didn't like that at all. He felt, I think he justified it by saying he was a Jehovah's Witness and they're not supposed to take credit for their stuff. But I just think he thought that was corny. Mm -hmm. And he just didn't believe it. And he thought that he should just help people. So, I mean, he gave away millions and millions and millions of dollars. Most people don't know that the money came from him. Um, in fact, that's how I met him. Uh, he was trying to send me an anonymous donation for uh, Green for All um, back when we were doing the green job stuff and trying to get solar uh, jobs in the hood and mm -hmm. organic you know, food opportunity jobs in the hood. 
and you know, I got this anonymous check, uh, pretty big check, and I didn't, I, I'm not accepting an anonymous check. I'm black in Oakland. This could be anything. I'm not trying to go to jail. So, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, you, you know, it kept coming back. I kept sending it back, and then finally, a lawyer called and said, "Would you please?" I mean, he had like a desperate sound. Would you please accept this check? And I was like, "No, I'm not going to accept this check." And um, he's like, look, I can't tell you who it is, but I can just tell you this. His favorite color is purple. And I was like, oh. And I said, well, now you got another problem. He goes, what? I said, now I'm not going to cash it. I'm going to frame it. <laughs> so <laughs> we got the that's same great. problem. Yeah. So then uh, so the prince thought that was funny, and he called, and that's how we became friends. But I met him as a philanthropist. I met him as somebody who was trying to give away money without letting anybody know um, because he wanted the focus to stay on the work. He wanted the focus to stay on the people who were doing the work. He did not want for his name and his persona to overshadow any of the need or any of the people who were meeting the need. Hmm. So I've been in um, formal philanthropy in my role for about a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And so as I think about um, Prince's role and then what you've been doing, what lessons might you have for me as I'm <laughs> trying to do this work and, and supporting other leaders and um, well, their efforts. Well, I mean, we're lucky to have you where you are. I mean, somebody with your heart and your background and stuff like that, you're going to be able to see through a lot of nonsense and get down to the, to the root of things. And that part of the thing that I think Prince recognizes that just because you have the best proposal or the best website or the best, you know, the slickest this and the slickest that, or even the best ability to sell yourself, doesn't mean you're doing the best work. And Prince spent hours and hours and hours on the internet looking, searching, for talent when it came to music for people in need um he was you know he would send a check to pay somebody's court you find out about some terrible court case in nebraska someplace or florida and he would send money to help with the court cost um he would he would find group he had a, a genius for finding the underdog the unlikely and not relying on their ability to find him, because of course nobody could find him. <laughs> he like oh, lived in like true. you know the Batcave, um, <laughs> but also not allow, not rely on their ability to sell themselves to the world. He would look, and I think part of the thing that you have in the philanthropic community is uh, people are so bombarded by the people who know how to play that game. You forget there's a lot of people who don't know how to play that game mm -hmm. who could actually do more with a with a, a marginal dollar or a marginal ten thousand dollars than the people who know how to to get the meeting and how to have the PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. That's that's good insight for me. I think as we move forward. Mm -hmm. um, so the Redemption Project. Mm -hmm. Have you seen any of them yet? I've seen all of them. You have? I have. Oh, I I've love seen you all for of that. them. I've seen oh. all of them. And let me tell you, wow. um, the one in Oakland. Yes. Donald Lacey. Uh, ugly cry. Yes. I was ugly crying. Yeah. Um, that uh, there wow. was so much um, love and beauty and exception, uh, exceptional kind of, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's magic. It, it was, and, and the, the empathy, mm -hmm. there's so much in that. So what drove you to do that? You know, I, um, I'm, I feel so blessed, you know, um, you know, to, there are not that many African-American men who have uh, shows on cable television where we can say what we want, right? You know, where you can actually just have your own opinion. Um, you know, there's, there's um, you know, obviously the great Don Lemon. Um, there's Al Sharpton. Um, there's myself. There may be a couple more. There's not a lot of us. And so, um, uh, you know, you, you're, you're lucky in a way. Um, but then for, to have two, 
for CNN to give me an opportunity not just to have the Van Jones show on Saturday, every other Saturday. I, I share that 7 p.m. slot with David, David Axelrod. So we, has mm-hmm. the, we have the Axe Files um, every other Saturday at 7 o'clock and then the Van Jones show. And so we just share that, two Obama alums kind of sharing that, that slot. But then um, to have the opportunity to do a second show and for it to be an eight-part documentary series on restorative justice, you know, first of all, dealing with the criminal justice thing, uh, for me was important. I've worked on criminal justice for 25 years. Mm. I was a founder of the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights in Oakland, which is still standing um, and still providing services in Oakland. We closed, working with our allies and partners, uh, five abusive youth prisons in California in the early 2000s, stopped them from building a super jail for youth in Oakland. And so, you know, I was I was woke before they had alarm clocks. I've, yep, I've been working on yep. this for a long time. And and when you had to fight both political parties mm-hmm. to pass any of these bills, um, because Democrats and Republicans were equally in favor of mass incarceration. So, um, you know, I, have, I, I I'm deeply rooted in this work. Um, and I felt like the innocence conversation has finally gotten someplace. People yep. understand that innocent people wind up uh, in prison. That's important. I felt like the nonviolent drug offender conversation has gotten to a certain place where, mm-hmm. frankly, it almost seems like almost everybody but me is a former nonviolent drug offender because I've never <laughs> done any drugs. Most people yeah. have. Yeah. And so people can relate to that. But I felt like the next thing that needed to happen is what about the people who did it? And what about people who did real harm? Do they count? Are they human? Mm-hmm. Do they matter? Can they come back? Mm-hmm. Is there forgiveness? Is there empathy? And I felt like, especially in a time where it's just not fashionable to be empathetic. It's not fashionable to have compassion. It's about that cancel culture. I'm going to call you out. I'm going to block you. I mean, I don't care. And literally, you can say one wrong thing or have one wrong tweet, and you're done. And so to live in a society where empathy is not even fashionable, um, I said, I, wanna, I want to have a show uh, where we try to find empathy where it's the hardest. You know, people are canceling each other and, and mad at each other over one line out of context. What about when somebody did some real, real harm to you and your family? And what, what came out of it, I've never seen anything like the response to this show in that we are like 99% positive on Twitter. Twitter, I call hater. I, you know, <laughs> no matter what you do on Twitter, somebody's going to kick your butt. Not this show, when it airs, it's very quiet on Twitter. There's almost no response to this show. And then at the end, it's just all of this just appreciation and people talking about, you know, shedding tears and being moved and transformed and want to change their lives and, and seeing things totally differently. And to be able to do that, you know, 43 minutes of, of uh, television, uh, to me, is, is it's really the high point of my career so far. Yeah, it's very powerful. I had a, a cousin that was murdered in uh, 2011. And I'm he so was, sorry. He was going to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And he was um, shot and killed by someone I went to high school with. Oh, my God. And so I found myself listening um, and watching that and thinking on, am I at a place that I could forgive? Mm-hmm. And, the, and, the, and the question is still out, right? No, it's an unanswered it's question. Tough, tough. Um, but to sit face to face with him, I, I don't know. And so mm-hmm. I think that there was a relatability mm-hmm. to... Um, yeah, that one in particular. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the great thing about the eight episodes is we have all races and mixes of people. Um, but that one, I think, you know, first of all, Donald Lacey is, is a legend. He is Oakland. He's like a legend in Oakland. I mean, they literally named the, the, the whole town motto is love life after his daughter. And so, I mean, that's how major he is. And I was there marching behind him in all those marches in, you know, 97. 
And so then to go into San Quentin with him and to sit down and have that conversation was really powerful. Um, so I think, but you know, honestly, a part of what I'm hoping is that a different kind of television might um, emerge. This is not reality TV where they're like telling them what to say and, 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 and can say it again. Can you be mad or can you be mad or like trying to like create fake emotion and fake situations? This is as real as it gets. And every word that comes out of the mouth of somebody on, on my show is the authentic expression of somebody trying to get out of hell. Yeah. And also it's not true crime. You know, true crime is this sort of who done it genre. And on the left it's like trying to exonerate people who are, you know, falsely convicted. On the right it's, you know, catch a killer. Yeah. Um, but you know, our show is not true crime. It's about the truth long after the crime. Yeah. Ten years later, fifteen mm -hmm. years later, sometimes twenty years later, where healing still hasn't happened mm -hmm. for the people who are the survivors, and where sometimes surprisingly growth has happened for the person who did wrong. Right. And that's a messy, complicated truth that we want to be able to touch on. And so people are saying, you know, the critics, some of the critics have called and said they can't review it because they don't have any words. And mm. I said, it's because we've lost the language of grace. Oh, wow. We've lost the language and literacy of compassion in the culture so that when you see it, you literally can't describe what you're seeing because we've just come that far away. Mm. If somebody was slapping somebody, you'd have something to say. Yeah. But when somebody's hugging somebody, you don't know what to say. Yeah. And that's where we are as a culture. So I'm hoping that we can license, um, you know, a different, uh, a different genre for television that might be more healing. We got to put some medicine in this sick culture. And that's mm. what the show is. Well, I really appreciate um, you leading in this way and, mm -hmm. and being open enough to be reacting because you react in real time as you're mm -hmm. listening to the mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. um, so on to the nonviolent offender mm -hmm. conversation. Sure. So my son said, make sure you ask him about Meek Mills mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and um, just what happens with that. And I think you've been working a little bit on, on Meek Mills, that mm -hmm. the yeah, nonviolent sure. offender and some probation reform. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, you know, Meek... Um, got a, a bogus charge at 19. Um, technically, there, there was a gun charge. Some people say, well, there's a gun charge and it's, it's not nonviolent. But even the cops recanted later on and said the whole thing was made up. So he had a bogus charge at 19. Um, and he's now in his mid-30s. He's still on probation from that bogus charge at 19. And he's got six more years to go. And so there's in uh, Pennsylvania, there's no caps on how long you can be on probation. And you, you can go back to, back to prison for anything like an illegal U-turn, uh, showing up 10 minutes late for a meeting with your probation officer. Um, your aunt has a stroke in the next neighborhood over, you go check on her, whoop, wrong neighborhood, back to prison, three months, six months, a year, two years. And it's just stupid. I mean, you know, we're, so we're building this thing called the Reform Alliance. It's, mm -hmm. you know, Meek Mill, Jay-Z, uh, six uh, billionaire heavy hitters. Uh, I'm the CEO to get it going. Reformalliance.com if you want to be a part of it. We're just an anti-stupid coalition. Like it's just real. It's like this is just stupid. Like I mean, yeah. you know, somebody gets out of prison, and they get a job, which, as you know, is almost a miracle. And then mm -hmm. they get an apartment. Trying to get an apartment when you have a felony on your record almost impossible. Then they get their kids back out of foster care. You know the kind of war that is. Mm -hmm. And then you make an illegal U-turn, and you go back to prison yeah. for three months, six months. The apartment gone. Kids gone, job gone, start all over, over nothing. And so, because people think, oh, well, you blew probation. You need to go back. You ain't learned your lesson. You blew, you blew parole. Because they're assuming that you're, you're, you're committing new crimes. Yeah. You're out there jacking cars. You're out there selling drugs. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Non-crime 
technical violations is the main reason people go back. You know, I was 10 minutes late here, right? Yeah. I could If I were on parole and you were my parole officer, I could go to prison for six months mm. behind stuff just that petty and that simple. And so the Reform Alliance is really, I see the Redemption Project as my sermon, mm-hmm. and I see the Reform Alliance as my ministry in that we have mm-hmm. to, we can't just be woke and be tweeting. We have to change laws. Yeah. Uh, we have to change uh, policies. We have to, and then you know when we have people like Jay Z, like Meek, who have these big platforms and who care, we have to help those people be effective at changing the law. And so um, you know I'm very busy, um, but I feel very very blessed. You know not that many people have the opportunity to have a couple of shows on TV where they can say what they want, and not that many people get a chance to you know work with people who can throw real punches. Yeah. to change laws and mm-hmm. right now i'm at that moment in my life where i can do both and i feel blessed man. yeah really appreciate it what what why should the broader community care about criminal justice reform mm-hmm. well because we're wasting genius we are just wasting genius we got people listen i spend more time in prisons uh probably than you know i probably spent more time in prisons and going in and out for various you know advocacy groups and um the shows than you know Probably most people will in their whole lifetime. You know what I see? Hmm. I see people I don't want to have to compete with. Yeah. Beautiful, creative, smart, resilient brothers and sisters who are just like, wow, if this person had gotten the same breaks I had gotten, I'd be working for them. And mm-hmm. I'm not joking. Like, I would be a receptionist in some of these dudes' worlds. I mean, these are, I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, like, I would, I would be a receptionist in some of these dudes' world if I were lucky. Um, we're wasting a lot of genius. And what does that mean? That means, you know, you take somebody who could be a, a breadwinner, you know, male or female, somebody who could be an entrepreneur, male or female, somebody who could be a teacher, somebody who could be a healer, somebody who could be an entertainer, somebody who could, who could really add value, and you knock them out. Well, then, that, then their cousins, their nieces, their nephews, their children, their parents suddenly don't have a pillar. So then they fall. And then when they fall, they're grabbing somebody, they're pulling them down. All that comes back to us. So the positives are missing and the negatives are multiplied. And it's one thing, well, hey, well, guys, you know, we don't want to be soft on crime. We don't want to, you know, be a part of, uh, you know, something that would encourage people to do bad things. Look, I'm not a part of the pro-crime lobby. Like, I, my kids were born in Oakland. I'm raising my kids and my family in L.A. I'm not trying to have things be worse. But what I'm saying is we're making them worse. Because, you know, nobody says when it's their kid on drugs. Oh, you know what? Jimmy, Jimmy was trying drugs. Seventeen years. Put him in prison for seventeen years. I'll take. When it's your kids, you oh no, they. Uh, what is going on? Therapy, rehab. You know, let's get let's figure out what the deal is. When it's your child, you have so much more empathy, and your solutions are so much more humane. When it's somebody else's child, you say, well, hey, look, they should have broken the law. Who has not broken the law? And so we are hurting ourselves in a way. And people don't understand the magnitude. When you say there's 2 million people plus, 2 plus million people locked up in U.S. jails and prison. You say, well, you know, the United States is 300 million people. That's not that many people. Hold on a second. China has a billion plus and only a million locked up. Hmm. We have the biggest incarceration industry in the world, in the United States, in the history of the world, in the land of the free. And mostly poor black and brown people who are doing stuff that I see people doing at country clubs, yacht clubs, and Ivy League campuses. And none of them ever go to jail. I went to Yale for law. Nobody can tell me anything. 
Um, I saw kids doing drugs at Yale. Nobody ever called the cops. Four blocks away in housing projects, kids doing fewer drugs with less money all have Fs behind their name, behind, felons. Yeah. And the kids who went to Yale, well, I can't hire you. You're a drug felon. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> I remember you. Exactly. You're not fooling <laughs> yeah. me. So yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, even even to, all the way up to, to George W. Bush mm-hmm. was a cokehead yep. and became president of the United States. But Pookie and Snoopy and Shadene and them are going to be called, you know, mm-hmm. drug felons the rest of their lives and, and be lucky to get an apartment. Yeah. Do you really think that there's nobody named Pookie, Snoopy, or Shanene that's at least as smart as George W. Bush? Probably a lot smarter and yet won't have the opportunity. So who are we hurting? Yeah. So I think it's really important. And I think the reason that it happens, we don't know each other. We all in our own little phones. We're in our own little Ubers. We're in our own little suburbs. We're in our own little lives. And we don't know each other. And so, you know, I piss off a lot of liberals because I don't believe in fighting um, separation with separation. Hmm. I don't believe in fighting hate with hate, and I don't believe in fighting outrage with outrage. Um, I want uh, people. We Van, you know, you, you you gotten soft in your old age. I can't stand. <laughs> my God, you talk to those Republicans. You talk to Donald Trump. You, my God, Van Jones, what's happened yeah, to you? Yeah. You gotta fight fire with fire. Sometimes that's true, but not in the nursery. Hmm. Yeah, not in the nursery. You got a fire in the nursery. Where everything you care about is on the line. Sometimes you need to fight fire with water. And I spent a lot of time in red parts of this country for CNN um, and for the Reform Alliance. Um, the red parts of Pennsylvania where people are suffering and people are scared and people have the opioid epidemic mm-hmm. and the suicide epidemic. And frankly, white folks just feeling like, hey, we used to be the top dogs. What's going to happen to us now? And change is hard. And, yeah. and grief is real. And if we want people to do hard things, like give up being the top dogs and just be in a fair situation with everybody else, you've got to be able to hospice mm-hmm. that. You've got to be able to hold that. You've got to be able to explain to people that I understand that it's scary. Yeah. I understand that it's hard. Uh, and I know you can do it, and we need you to do it. That's different than saying, oh, you don't agree? You're a bigot. Oh, you don't agree? Screw you. Now I'm going to call you names on top of it. And so I make a lot of liberals mad, but what I know is that love wins. And when it gets harder to love, mm-hmm. you got to love harder. Yeah, That's the problem. It's like right now, liberals are on trial. Trump is not on trial. We already know what Trump is. Yeah. People knew what Trump was in New York before he ever ran. They knew he was a con man. They knew he was a hustler. They knew what he was. Mm-hmm. That that was available to anybody on planet Earth before you got there. So Trump's not on trial. We already know who he is. Yeah, liberals and progressives and folks who care are on trial. You know, can we can we not become what we're fighting? Mm-hmm. Can we not turn into what we're fighting? Can we actually hold the love and the hope and the optimism and the empathy that defines us, and not let him define us all down to something we can't even recognize? And so the Redemption Project, it's kind of my low-key response to a lot of what progressives are doing in terms of, uh, you know, trying to, you, you can't out-ugly Donald Trump. You can't, <laughs> out, I mean, what are you talking, what, what, you you're going to lose that. Yeah. Uh, you can't out-anger um, and out-hate the far right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not, you're, not even, you're not even good at that. If you're liberal, you suck at that. You're not good at hating people. It's not even, you're not even good at it. Yeah. Why would you even try to compete? Um, you know, uh, I get a chance to, um, I get a chance to, uh, meet a lot of good people on both sides, all races, all classes, all backgrounds. 
And the biggest problem that we have, and I'll close with this, mm -hmm. is not the awful people. We have awful people um, doing awful things. That's true. Mm -hmm. um, you'd be a fool to say anything else looking at the news. But that's not the biggest problem. The biggest problem is all the awesome people right, in both parties, mm -hmm. all races, all backgrounds, who don't know what to do, who don't know how to find each other, who when we find each other don't know how to talk to each other, how to listen to each other. That's the big problem is that the awesome people mm -hmm. are coming up short. And I want to encourage the awesome people in every corner of this country. I want to encourage the good where I can find it. I'm going to fight the bad, but I want to encourage the good wherever I can find it. Mm -hmm. So in closing, um, do you have any books that you would recommend to our audience? You know, I I know I knew you were going to ask me that, and I've just been, I don't, no. I, you know, for me, you know, obviously James Baldwin, was mm -hmm. such an important force in my early development. If I was anything by James Baldwin is is going to make you a more human human. Mm -hmm. um, but trying to come up with just one book, I just yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah, I get you on that. <laughs> if there was one thing, if there was one issue that you would want people to spend some time understanding better, would it be criminal justice reform? All the issues that hit people at the bottom. Both political parties have let down their bases. That's Republican. Ben, how can you support these Democrats? Demo you've been voting for Democrats for generations. You're still poor, man. <laughs> well, I got friends in Appalachia been voting for Republicans for generations. They poor too. Yeah. Maybe political parties don't do a good job helping poor people. Hmm. And so when you're talking about the people who have the least human freedom mm -hmm. and the least human dignity, those are the people who I care about. The people who are who are trapped in addiction, uh, who are trapped in poor mental health, who are trapped in generational poverty, who are trapped in a broken criminal justice system. Those four issues, addiction, mental health, poverty, and criminal justice. Why? Because those issues will humble your ass. <laughs> I don't care if you're Bill Gates. I don't care if you're a school teacher. You try to deal with those issues, and all of a sudden you realize, I can't do this by myself. I need as much help. I need as many allies as I can. This is a major, major emergency every day, every hour in the lives of human beings. And there before the grace of God go me, how can I ask the firefighter, what political party are you in before you come over here? Yeah, I've never met anybody in prison who said, get me out of prison. I'm, I'm, I'm being brutalized. I miss my family. I miss my children. Get me out of here. But whatever you do, Van Jones, don't talk to any Republicans. Never heard that. I've heard, get me out of here no matter what it takes. And so for me, when we, when we deal with the least of these, it brings out the best in everybody. Um, you know, uh, to get out of poverty, you need liberal social programs. It's true. But you also need conservative personal values, too. It takes both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you can't uh, run the same kind of libertine, do whatever you want to do kind of stuff that works for middle class and rich people who have means when you're poor. Yeah. You got to work hard. You got to stay out of trouble. It's like so. So we need each other to be able to deal with folks at the very, very bottom. And um, we forget that. We want to argue about the other issues, which are critical, and I work on them as well. But when we work on these other issues, we sometimes forget that where we're supposed to fight, we got to fight hard. It's true. Attacking immigrants, snatching babies from their mother at the border, that's despicable. We have to fight against that. Throwing folk out the military because they're transgender, despicable. You know, all the police shootings and stuff that we just have to fight. We can't back down, got to fight. But you can't only fight mm -hmm. and still have a country. Yeah. 
beyond the battleground, you have to find some points of common ground where we can actually continue to work together, develop relationships, and have some fellow feeling toward each other. And if we, if we locate that common ground at the very, very bottom, it tends to bring out the best in, 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 in all sides. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what I um, am committed to. It's a tough message. It's more nuanced. It's more complex yeah. than just screw Trump or screw the liberals. And you have hope for the future? I, I wouldn't say I have hope for the future. I say I have hope in the present. Hmm. What I see in the present is good. I see good people who are scared. I see good people. I see a country trying to do something that no country has ever done successfully without violence, which is to have a majority ethnic group become a minority ethnic group without violence. We're asking white America to do that. And we insist that they do it and they're gonna do it. But the way that we are insisting that they do it uh, can help or hurt, can hinder or accelerate. And, um, but I have hope in, in, in the goodness of the people that I see. When I meet conservative white guys who voted for Trump, who are wearing NRA t-shirts and MAGA hats, who are you know former coal miners and I sit down with them and I hear their story uh, from their point of view. I can understand how they might feel unappreciated. They might feel disrespected. They might feel misunderstood. They might feel that they were screaming out for help and nobody listened. Um, and I also know that when I tell them I'm mad at you, and I'm not just mad at you because I think you've been seduced by bad ideas, I'm mad at you because we've been screaming for help and you didn't come help, help us either. Mm. So maybe you feel let down, I feel let down too. How do we help each other? Those conversations usually turn out beautifully. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, that level of honesty and that level of care, um, I want it to be uh, more visible. Um, we can't let Twitter, like, you know, black Twitter will kick your ass. I mean, if you say- It, is, you it say, will, but it, sometimes it's funny. Yeah, yeah, but, <laughs> but I'm just saying, but yeah. I, was, I, I tell my friends on black Twitter, I said, look, here's, here's what I know. There ain't no black Twitter. It's white Twitter that black people use. So I'm not impressed, mm. <laughs> you know. I'm trying. So I'm working with Yes We Code, so mm -hmm. we can have our own Twitter, yeah. um, and we can have our own technology, and and um, and spread that out. Mm -hmm. But we listen. Most people are good people. They may not have the knowledge or the opportunity to do good. Um, they may not have the space in their lives to do good. But most people are good people yeah. on all sides. Yeah. And um, I'm just, I stand in that. Okay. Do you want to say anything about Yes We Code before we close? Look, Yes We Code is dope. Prince started it, you know, and we're trying to keep it alive. And, you know, we just hired a brilliant young African-American to run it. And, um, you know, we got partnerships with Infor and Apple and uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers and, you know, hopefully with you guys. And, um, you know, I just I just try to stay busy doing the stuff that Prince taught me. I mean, Prince got more stuff done in a day mm. than most people get done in an entire lifetime. I've never been around anybody as generative and generous and creative as that man. It was, being around him, like you, you would spend a day with him and you live off of it for like a month because so many things that he would say and just the way that he would do stuff. And he would look at you and he, he would he just look at you and you'd be giving your best stuff, man. You'd be flowing. You just know and you just just killing it. I mean, you can't, you, you're just feeling yourself. I'm getting myself goosebumps. You know what I mean? You look over him and he looks at you like, like a, a sober person looking at a drunk person. Like, this dude really think he's saying something. Wow. You know, and then he would just be like, um, why would you do that just in the United States, fam? Hmm. You're like, what? I mean, don't you think other people not in the United States would need something like that? Why would you limit it just to the United States? It's all you talk about the United States. Or you'd be mad complaining about something 
and going off and everybody's getting an agreement about how bad something is and he'd be like looking so just disgusted and you realize oh he ain't participating no more and you're like what are you thinking prince and he'd be like um then what do you want hmm. why don't we focus on that the wisdom of prince i tell yeah. you i appreciate um you you taking it in. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you um, forwarding it both in and I think how you are operating and inspiring. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be purple. Trying to be, trying purple. to be purple. We're all trying to be purple around here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think often in my role, how do we use the platform? How do we use the power of philanthropy mm -hmm. to raise the issues that need to be more visible in community? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'm just learning. I'm soaking it in. I yeah. appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you. And look, the thing about it is that for whatever reason, you know, you can bring people to the table. And a lot of times, and, and people just need to know each other. And, and, you know, don't always bring them to the table with these carpets and all these, like, you know, fluorescent lights and uh, air conditioning. Have people come to, come to the homeless shelter together. Make them come, go to the prison together. Make them ride on the long bus together. Don't show up in different Ubers. Mm -hmm. Make them meet you here and then go together because that's when a lot of the, lack of a better term, a lot of the BS falls away. Mm -hmm. When people don't bend you know, eating them little nasty sandwiches in the lobby together, you know, that yeah. kind of stuff. We do too much stuff in fancy places. Fancy places don't bring out good in people. And so you can, but because, you know, you have, you have the checkbook and you have the ear of everybody, you can, you can get people to walk in these humble steps, man. And, uh, you know, you, that's, that's, that's very consistent with who you are. So it's not like anybody think that's too weird. You know what yeah. I mean? You care yeah. about people. It's obvious. And so, I just say, man, we just have to humble ourselves and humble ourselves and humble ourselves because it's the big people letting the country down. It's not the little people. Little people working hard every day. Yeah. It's the big people letting the country down. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you. Please check out the Minneapolis Foundation website to find more episodes of this podcast, information on upcoming events, and for my book recommendations. Thank you to Weber Shadwick for their partnership and support in making this podcast come alive.